How we doing? Everybody good? Huh? Happy Sunday. I got one thumbs up in the back of the room. Thank you, Brack. All right. We got somebody awake today. Man. So we are continuing our sermon series called Ten Talks, which ironically is an 11-talk series. Uh, yeah, so we had an introductory week, and then we're walking through the Ten Commandments. And, and I don't know about you, I cannot talk about the Ten Commandments without having a picture in my mind of Moses. Right. I think most of us tend to have that picture in our minds of Moses. And here's the thing. I'm actually not that old, despite what my sons think. I've never met Moses, but I still have a picture in my mind of maybe what he looked like. And so I'm curious, maybe your picture of Moses is kind of this gentle, uh, this this kind and welcoming picture of Moses. I remember a painting I saw when I was really, really young of a very aggressive Moses, like lightnings coming out of the Ten Commandments. I don't want to sit down and have a cup of coffee with that dude. He looks pretty grumpy. That version of Moses, not so much. But for many of us, I think over a certain age, when we think of Moses, we just think straight Charlton Heston, right? Yeah. Get your hands off me, Pharaoh. No, that's I was mixing Charlton Heston there like that. That idea of man, we, we watched this growing up or whatever. Now, if you're over the certain age, I, I think that that's who you picture. If you're under a certain age, you have a very different picture altogether, I think. Right. <laughs> and here's the thing, like if this is your first time to ever walk into a church and you're like, why is there a vegetable with a bathrobe on it. I'm sorry, we've ruined everything. Listen, I, don't, I, I can't explain veggie tales to you. We'll have to talk about it later. Um, but, but back to the picture of Charlton Heston, whatever the picture is, we picture two tablets, right? Uh, the scriptures actually tell us that he had two tablets. And so we picture these two tablets, and the question is, in our mind, what's on the two tablets, right? Like, does he have five on one and five on the other? Or... I think maybe more likely, uh, I've tended to think that he had the first four on one. If you remember last week, we talked about it's a much longer commandment. There's just more words in it, right? So maybe he had four on one and six on the other, because the next six that we're going to look at starting this week are kind of like bumper stickers or tweets. or like, boop, 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 right? So maybe the six were on the second one. But here's the thing. Scholars actually think that probably there were two identical tablets, Apparently the custom historically was if there was a written covenant, you did two copies of it in case one of them got broken, lost, or destroyed. Or in this case, if both of them were broken out of uh, temper tantrum. That's another story. Um, but, But probably they were duplicates. And then scholars also think, and I find this so interesting, but this goes under the category of totally useless facts. This has nothing to do with anything in your life. But scholars actually think that probably they were inscribed on both sides. I've only ever pictured one-sided tablets, which means nothing. But regardless of how they're broken down, I think maybe the thought of there being four on one side and six on the other might, with, might would fit with the focus. But we've said it again and again that, that the first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God. And then the, the last six where we transition to today have to do with what life looks like if we do the first four. If God is in his proper place in our hearts, then what does life look like? That's what we will begin to look like. Maybe a little more practical or a little more boots on the ground. What does it look like to have no gods before me? And that's where we pick up today as we're going to jump into uh, the fifth commandment. So grab your Bible if you would, please. Um, If you don't have one, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. And if you do not own a Bible, please keep that. 
Uh, let that be our gift to you today. Uh, but we invite you to join with us in our tradition where we hold this book up in the air. We say a creed together about what we believe it to be. And so if that's where you are in your spiritual journey, then join with us this morning as we declare this with conviction. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you. Please turn again to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. If you're using one of those Bibles from the seat in front of you, it's page 57. Exodus chapter 20. As we're getting a little more, again, maybe practical with these commandments, I think it's important that we go back to the beginning and and reestablish some of the foundation that was laid before we came into this. Because I think the more practical these commandments get, the more it can subtly turn into religious duty or or legalism or or bondage to law. And so I want to reestablish the importance of the fact that God had already liberated his people. And so the Ten Commandments aren't rules on how to get out of Egypt. They're instructions for liberated people to remain free. They've been set free, and God's saying, here's what it looks like to live free. And for all of us who are in Christ Jesus, we've already been set free from slavery to sin. We've already been set free from the flesh. We've been set free from the law. And so this isn't how we earn our way into God's favor. No, that's religion. That we're walking in, in freedom in Christ. This is, we trust him so much, here's the best way to walk. The, the law was never intended to set us free. The Apostle Paul would come years later, about 1,500 years later, and he would say, listen, the whole purpose of the law was to show that we needed a rescuer. The whole purpose of the law was, was to reveal that we can't liberate ourselves. And Jesus has come to set us free. And so because he has saved us, we don't work to gain something We work because we've been given something. The way we said it is salvation isn't our reason for obedience. It's our our reward, rather, for obedience. It's our reason. It's not what we get for being obedient. It's the motivation for trusting him and following after him and taking him at his word. It's not the reward for obedience. It's the reason for obedience. And with that foundation, then, we look at just one verse this morning. Verse number 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that Yahweh your God is giving you. Honor your father and your mother. Before we really dive into the main focus of this specific command, I want us to just park for a little while on the very first word. Because this is a word that, number one, I believe is very near and dear to the heart of God, but it's also a word that sets in order everything that's going to flow after it. I believe God has called his people to be men and women of honor. Men and women who display honor. And it begins by honoring him. That's really the the first four commandments. No God before me. Honor me as the only God. Not first, only. Right? Therefore, don't show honor to any other created image, any graven image. Don't, Don't replace on the throne of your heart any fake thing. And then he said, honor my name. We said the way we talk about God is the way we worship God. And then he said, honor my day, which is what we talked about last week. That there's a day set apart to rest, to breathe, to take a nap, and to connect with God. If we honor God, it only flows that he would then want us, that the first word we read when it comes to our relationships would be 
Honor. To display honor. And if we really handled ourselves with honor, none of the rest of the commandments would actually be necessary. Really, it could be the the five commandments, not the ten. And the the fifth command could just be this word, honor. (laughs) Because if we really applied honor, we wouldn't look somebody in the eye and lie to them. If we were walking with honor, we wouldn't take things from someone that belongs to them. If we honored people, we wouldn't jealously envy their life. We would celebrate God's favor on them. And even when it comes to adultery, if if we have honor, we're not going to sin against someone else. We're not going to sin against our spouse. We're not going to sin against their spouse. We're not going to sin against all the other people who get harmed when adultery enters the story. And if honor solves the adultery problem, it most surely solves the murder problem, right? If I honor somebody, I'm a lot less likely to murder them. Go figure. Honor really does set the tone for for the whole rest of this list. And it's so fitting that God would use the word honor. Because the the Apostle Paul used this same word. So his letter to the Romans... It's really two letters kind of combined into one. One is a a theological view of the gospel. But the second half of Romans is this this glimpse of what life looks like if we believe the gospel, if we experience the gospel, if we walk in the gospel. And one of the first things the Apostle Paul says is he's unpacking what life looks like is uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 10, which was our theme at Temple Christian School a couple years ago. Outdo one another in showing honor. Bob Goff says that that honor or love is about racing each other to the back of the line. Not racing to the front of the line, racing to the back of the line. Outdo one another in showing honor. So what's a working definition for honor, right? Here's a working definition of honor. To, To submit, to defer, to respect, at times to obey to have affection for or admiration for in a way that displays itself. Meaning honor is one of those internal things that always works itself out. So I can't be dishonorable or act dishonorable and say I have honor in my heart. It will always reveal itself, right? One of the reasons that that as a country that we put our hand over our heart whenever the singing of our national anthem is played, right, is because we don't just want to have honor in our hearts. We want to display honor, right? And not just in the the way we act, but even in the the words that we use. That's why in Luke chapter 6, Jesus would say it's out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so some of us talk about needing a mental filter before we talk, right? But really, even before that, we need a heart filter. That, that our hearts would have an honor filter and say, does this honor people who bear the image of God? And so I love that honor sets the stage for, for how we move forward today. Because I believe the fact that, that God begins by talking about honor in the home is absolutely appropriate. W- one writer said this, the laboratory for how we learn to live with honor is the home. The laboratory for how we learn to live with honor in a broken world is the home. And so we begin by looking at not just generic honor, but honoring your father and your mother. Now here's the thing. What we know by this is that it applies to all of us because everybody here today has a father and a mother, if only biologically. 
right? Now, perhaps your father or your mother are already in heaven, or perhaps you don't have a relationship with them. You're estranged, or perhaps uh, one of them really harmed you, and so your relationship has been broken, or maybe you still live at home today. Wherever you are on that spectrum, the fact is I believe this command applies to us today, and we'll try to look at it from each of those different perspectives. This is one of only two positive commands. Eight of the Ten Commandments are what we're not supposed to do. But he doesn't say, do not dishonor your parents. It's a positive one. He says, honor your father and your mother. And it has this great promise about how we'll live long in the land. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. The Apostle Paul made it really clear that honor and obedience are interconnected in Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. This is the first commandment with a promise. That's Ephesians chapter 6. Now, here's the thing. We're actually going to look at that, God willing, in the month of May. Uh, there's a sermon that's been brewing in my heart for like 13 months, and I've got to wait two more months before I can share it with you. But we're going to talk more about that when we get to that. The point that I want to focus in this morning is this is a positive command with a beautiful promise. That will live long. Now, I'll be honest. I memorized it as a kid, or I heard it as a kid. Honor your father and mother, and you'll live long. Because if you don't, somebody's going to kill you, right? But it's a bigger promise than just that. Although I think that might be fitting. But I, I think there's more to be said about the promise here. The point is this. God always wants better for us. God's not giving us these commands because he's like, if you honor your parents, I'll feel better about myself. It's for our good. This is for us. He's like, listen, there's a promise attached to this that will be better for you. So trust me and be men and women of honor. Live with honor. And I want to say to every student who's here who, who lives at home, let me say this. We're going to look at this honor your father and mother first for those who live at home. Second, we'll look at most of us in this room do no longer live uh, in, in our parents' home. So for those who live at home with your parents, here's the thing. The first way that you show that you honor God with your heart, is that you respect and obey your parents. Not just when you agree with them, but even more so when you don't. Not just when what they tell you makes sense to you, but even more so when it doesn't. Your parents are going to give you counsel that doesn't make sense to you because they have wisdom you don't have yet. Here's the thing. My kids often don't understand what I'm trying to tell them. And, and I want so bad for us to have this like light bulb organic connection where I'm like, oh, they got it. When here's the thing. My kids don't even know where money comes from yet. Right? They just think it comes from parents. Like, there's just money. Right? Like, we've lived long enough to know that, that life's a little more complex than that. So not everything that we've experienced will make sense. So young people, the greatest way you can show that you honor God. I, and, I, and I love it that, that you would passionately worship Jesus and have your hands in the air. But man, if I'm worshiping Jesus with my hands in the air at church and I'm disrespecting my mom at home, I don't understand honor. For those living at home, we submit with respect and obedience to our parents. That's all I'm going to say because I think nothing more needs to be said about those who live at home. Most of us, uh, of us in this room no longer live at home with our parents, and so that's where we will park much longer today. How do I obey this command if I'm a long way from home? And, and here's, here's what I believe. I'm going to give you two things and then a potential third. 
that we, we honor our parents with respect and gratitude. With respect and gratitude. And then here's the third, a dose of forgiveness. Because every one of us had human parents, which means not one of them was perfect. That we honor our father and our mother with respect, with gratitude, and with respect, and with forgiveness, rather. And for some, that's a giant pile of forgiveness. We'll talk more about that later. And for some, it's simple forgiveness. And maybe your response to that is, dude, you don't know my parents. You just don't understand. You just do not know how bad I had it at home. And let me say this. I don't. I did not grow up in your home. But I know that the God of the universe, the creator of all things that have ever existed or ever will exist, took human form and dwelt among us. And in the great chapter, Luke chapter 2, where we see God coming in the flesh to humankind, the multitude of angels, the heavenly hosts, that chapter ends, verse 52, and it says, Then he, Jesus returned with them, Mary and Joseph, to Nazareth, and he obeyed them. The King James uses the word submitted to them. If Jesus showed honor to parents that he created, then surely we can obey this command, right? Because ain't none of us Jesus, right? And here's the thing, I think some of us had very normal parents that that we've been hurt because we've held them to a standard. And I don't know who needs to hear this today. Some of us have held our parents to standards beyond what we're even living up to. Like, we want our parents to have been sinless or perfect, and they were just as human as us. I, I think some of us, Jesus could have been our earthly father, and we would still be like, I didn't like his beard. Right? Like, he always thought he was God. He was. like. I think we could find fault with any parent, right? And for some of us, that goes way beyond that. Some grew up in homes where there was tremendous heartbreak, where there was tremendous abuse, physical abuse and emotional abuse and verbal abuse and psychological abuse. Some grew up in homes where there was sexual abuse and many experienced spiritual abuse. Many experienced being beat up with scriptures that they didn't live out themselves. And the question that I think lingers for those who come from from a busted up home when we come to this command is this. How do I dishonor, or rather, how do I honor dishonorable people? Right? The the question that rings out for those from a, a broken home is, how do I honor dishonorable people? And let me say this. That question will apply to the other five commands that we will cover too. How am I honest with dishonest people? Right? How do I respect people's possessions who disrespect mine? How do we honor dishonorable people? And here's the simple answer, with grace. We show honor to dishonorable people in the same way that God honors us as dishonorable people. I'm not worthy of the honor that God has shown to me. I'm not worthy of the grace that he's shown to me. As a matter of fact, the moments I've most experienced, the magnitude of his grace, were the moments when I was most uh, undeserving. That was grace. We show honor to dishonorable people because we are followers of Jesus, and that's what he does. Lavishly pours out his grace on those who have not earned it. 
One author I read said this, for those who have been hurt by your parents, I want you to hear this today. If we do not forgive our parents, we will end up being like our parents. If we allow unforgiveness and bitterness to rule and ruin our hearts, we will become the very thing we despise. If we do not forgive our parents, we will become like our parents. And Jesus Christ did not suffer and die and raise from the dead for you to stay stuck in that. He did so to set you free. He gave you enough forgiveness to overflow even to dishonorable people. Forgiveness is not saying, hey, it didn't actually hurt. Hey, it was no big deal. Forgiveness says it was wrong. But I'm not going to be a captive to bitterness anymore. Because here's the deal. It was either handled at the cross or it'll be handled at the throne one day. But either way, I'm not going to be the one handling it. And so I'm not going to carry it anymore. I'm going to walk in the freedom of Jesus Christ. And instead of this unforgiveness manifesting itself with anger and resentment and addiction and and attitude problems and depression and anxiety. No, I want to walk in the freedom that Christ has purchased for me. Beginning next Sunday, the first Sunday in March, our Temple Kids theme for the month is forgiveness. That excites me. Because maybe my kids will learn how to forgive all the mistakes that I'm doing. Because we're all human parents. If grace isn't part of the equation, the only other possibility is bitterness. And if you feel stuck in that, friend, let 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 me speak to you. If you feel stuck with some resentment or bitterness to your parents... I want to say first and foremost, you don't have to stay stuck there. There is freedom in that. And if you don't know how to walk towards that freedom, I just want you to know we're here for you. We want to connect you with resources or we want to have those difficult conversations because you can be on the other side of bitterness. And let me just tell you, it is freedom. And we want that for you. The single topic that I end up talking about the most in my office when people come sit down with me is the topic of forgiveness. Forgiveness is the actual source for a lot of surface problems. And people come in and they want to deal with the symptoms. And way more often than not, we end up at this conversation. Forgiveness. If we come to Christ, if we truly trust the gospel, we can honor dishonorable people. And here's why. Because ultimately, honoring people isn't about people. Honoring people is about honoring the God whose image they bear. If you ever meet somebody who doesn't bear the image of God, you don't have to honor them. But since that's never going to happen, God's calling us to ultimately honor Him. Don't honor your parents for your parents' sake. Honor God, which will cause us to walk, I believe, in respect, in gratitude, and when necessary, forgiveness towards our parents. So that's a glimpse of honoring your father and mother as children. Many in this room are parents today, and so let me talk about this verse. There's several implications, I believe, here for those of us who are parents. One of the first things I want to say while we're on the topic of having a tough childhood is this. If you grew up in a household where you didn't learn what honor looks like, let's do better. Let's make sure that we raise the next generation to know what honor looks like. Whether we learned it or not, we have the opportunity 
to change a family tree. And one of the ways that we teach honor in our home is by being honorable, by demonstrating honor. Ultimately, I I read a great quote a few weeks ago that I haven't been able to shake, that what Christian parenting is, we're raising the people that we want to become. (laughs) We're raising people that are what God's conforming us into. Because our kids are smack dab in the middle of being conformed to the image of Jesus, just like us. So we're raising people who are growing in Jesus just as we are growing in Jesus. And, and when that comes to honor, that means we're, we're growing together in this thing of honoring one another in a way that reflects the heart of God. Part of this, too, as parents, that I feel like needs to be said today, and I, and I tread into this part of the topic with, with caution and with grace, because the last thing I want to do is beat somebody up here today. And sadly, I think this could be taken as bigoted or, or, or something. But I feel like this needs to be said. What the fifth commandment reveals is that God's ultimate design is that moms and dads would raise their kids together. God's design is that our marriages would survive the difficult onslaught of the enemy for the sake of our kids and his glory in their lives. And it's, it's amazing to me that that's become a controversial thing to say. And I know, listen, I know that many in this room have, have already experienced divorce, and so I'm not beating you up in that. I'm not trying to kick you while you're down. I know that in life there's going to be a, such a thing as widows, and I know in life because of sin, divorce happens and heartbreak happens. But I don't think we become silent about God's ultimate design. God's ultimate design is that mothers and fathers would raise their kids together. And would those who've suffered through the pain of divorce would say, not this time. Our kids are going to see a different kind of marriage now. They're going to see a Christ-centered, grace-saturated marriage. And this one's going to survive in a way that charts a new path for the generation to come. God's ultimate hope and purpose His ideal family unit is a mother and a father who would not just be there for the conception, but would be there till death do them part. And I mean that not, okay, we're sticking together for the kids and we're really happy about it. And the day after graduation, hey kids, we have an announcement. We haven't loved each other in a decade. And let's be honest, we see that all the time, right? That's not what I mean. That is absolutely not what I mean. I don't mean stick it out. I don't mean stay together. Although there's days, let's be honest. I mean this. Fight for a healthy marriage. Fight for a flourishing home. Our marriages will not be healthy by accident. They will only be healthy on purpose. And too many of us are drifting in our marriages while we're trying to climb every other ladder in our life when maybe what needs to be our best is our most important, namely our homes. God wants you to win in your marriage, not just limp to the finish line. He offers us the hope of flourishing together. And one of the ways that we do that is that we honor each other. One of the ways that we raise children to honor their father and mother is if the father honors the mother. And the mother honors the father. And by the way, One of the ways that we will not raise a generation to honor their father and mother is if we tell them to do that and then we don't honor each other. If we talk to each other like garbage in front of the kids all the time and then we don't understand why they talk to us like garbage. 
God's calling us to something better. And part of what this, this text means is that there's a responsibility for mothers and fathers here to both be honorable and to demonstrate what it is to honor. The, 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 the raising up of the next generation falls to us. How do we speak to one another? How do we handle those divisive moments? How do we handle discipline? Man, let me just encourage you, have each other's back. I, I believe that Part of what it means, so, uh, I, okay, let me say this for a minute. So I believe theologically we are born as sinners. Sin isn't something we decide to do later, that we are part of fallen humanity. Ever since our, uh, as the sons of Adam and, and daughters of Eve, we are born into sin. And one of the ways that I think that's true is because from a young age, children know how to turn parents against each other. You don't have to teach them how to do that. Like they instinctively know. He'll say yes to this, but she'll say yes to that. So I'm picking and choosing. At least that's what our kids do, right? Maybe in your marriage they just go to the one all the time. I don't know. In ours it depends on the topic. But here's the reason I've committed. Listen, our answer when our kids ask us to do something is, I haven't talked to your mother or your father about that yet. So I'm not going to answer that. So you're going to wait for an answer. And by the way, if that's not acceptable, you don't know who the authority is in this house. Amen. And then we have a conversation, and we find common ground, and then we speak with one voice. Listen, don't let discipline be a divisive thing with honoring your home. Don't let it turn into a thing of disrespect. Kids are smart enough to see what's happening. Don't let them play you. Speak with one voice. And I would even say this, too. And I'm saying this as a dad, not as a mom, so I get it, right? But this whole idea of wait till your father gets home... Listen, God has, has gifted you and raised you up to be a parent. Handle that. Don't, don't defer your authority. Don't give away what God has given to you. Now, if what you mean is he's stronger than me and needs a beating, so when dad gets home, that's of the Lord. Yeah. That is literally the most amens I've gotten from this service since we started multiple services. Beating children. That's greatness. Let's look at the rest of this promise. That we will live, by the way, live long isn't just you'll die at an old age. The, the Hebrew understanding that is the idea of flourishing. That you will have a favored life, a, a blessed life, right? In the land that Yahweh, your God, has promised you. It's this idea... <laughs> And, and this sounds so simple. But I want you to hear What is for God's glory is always for our good. What is for God's glory is always for our good. So think about this this way as, as earthly parents, right? If our sons, if, if my wife and I have three sons, if they will do what we tell them, I believe life will be better for them. If they'll take our counsel, they will be saved from heartache and from, from failure and, and from injury. They'll be healthier. They'll learn more. They'll be better students, right? If they follow our instruction, life will be better for them. If that's true as fallen earthly parents, how much more true is that from our Heavenly Father? He's leading us in a way that's better for us. We will flourish as a society if children will respect their authority. 
will show honor to those whom God has placed in their life. What is for God's glory is always for our good. But I'll be honest, I tend to make decisions way too often based on what do I think is best for me. What do I want? What do I feel? What do I think will turn out the best for me? I confess. And I want you to hear me, friend, in 42 and a half years of life, every decision I've made based on what was best for me turned out to not be best for me. But every decision I've taken before the throne of God and said, God, I want to do to the best of my ability what is for your glory every single time it has turned out to be what was best for me. When we seek his kingdom, it's like all these things will be added to us. When we truly seek his heart and if we will trust that God is a God of honor and that he has established authority in the home and that doesn't make you control freak parents or out of touch parents. Here's the thing. Let me just I'm gonna park here for just a second. There, there is an epidemic in our culture of children running the home. And it is not good for society and it's not good for our schools and it's not good for the future workforce. We need moms and dads to rise up in the authority, not that birth gave you, but that your creator gave you and to teach your children that there is such a thing as authority. That's not you being a bully. And here's the thing that is making you out of touch. Praise God. I look at where this world's going. I don't want to be in touch. Old school? Okay. I'm so old school. Let's go back to Mount Sinai and be like, okay, Ten Commandments. Yep, let's go. That we're raising people who would learn what honor looks like and what honor means. In between services, after the last service, a couple dads came to me and talked about how mad their kids are at them and how much they love this sermon because now they don't care that their kids are mad at them anymore. And they said this. They said, we've made a bunch of shows on Nickelodeon and Disney unwatchable in our house. We've blocked them in our house. They said, the kids are ticked off. He said, but one day I sat down and watched some of those shows. And I watched how disrespectful the kids were on every one of these episodes. And the parents were idiots. Like literally, go read for the part of buffoon. Oh, that's the dad. Dits. Oh, that's the mom. Really smart aleck geniuses. The kids. Right? Listen, that's against the heart of God, and that's not best for us. <laughs> that's literally not best for us as a society. Because what's for God's glory is always what's best for us. It's always for our good. And just like every other command that we've covered thus far. Ultimately, this just points to Jesus and prepares the way for Jesus. Here's why. No matter how busted up your relationship may have been or may be with your earthly father, because of Jesus, (laughs) you now have a heavenly father. Now, here's the thing. He already was Father. He already was God the Father in in, in the way that He was the Father of all creation. But because He did not spare His own Son, Jesus paid the price for us to call Him Abba. Father. And so however hard it may be to honor your earthly Father, because of Jesus, we have a perfect, loving, accepting, heavenly Father.
And here's the thing about that adoption. Adoption is always really, really costly. And Jesus paid that high price with his own life so that we could be called sons and daughters of God. That's where this begins. That's where honoring our father and mother begins. And if it doesn't start there, it can't ever go beyond that. I don't think in our flesh we can truly honor our father and mother if we haven't first experienced what it is to be honored by the Heavenly Father. That he would honor us, undeserved. That's the love of God over us, and that's what sets us free so that we can honor our fathers and our mothers. Just like the children of Israel in this moment, we're not home yet. We haven't reached that land that's promised for us yet. And so what we do is we walk in between this middle of what Christ has accomplished and what is yet to come. We have faith in the past and hope in the future and love in the present. Displaying honor to dishonorable people. Because that's what God has done for us through the person of Jesus Christ.